all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I pray that you're having a beautiful spring week, regardless of what still seems to press us on every side. I pray that the hope and peace of Christ fills you even in this time as we remember today and rest together and who God is. Nathan and I were talking about the fact that we usually travel just enough in the spring and in the fall where we don't actually get to see the transformation outside. We don't get to see the leaves form on the trees and fill up the space that winter creates or see the leaves begin to turn and then mature into all the fall colors. So it's been beautiful, actually, to get to be home so we can see the gradual daily transformation of spring happening right before our eyes. Winter has such a way of not letting us forget the space it created. Would you believe that it actually snowed here for a few minutes yesterday? I looked at the girls and I was like, I don't know y'all, maybe Jesus really is coming back soon. (laughs) Snow in April. I couldn't help but think about how spring beckons, but winter always says, don't forget. I know I've told you that before, but may we write down and always remember what God is forging in us in this moment, in this major winter moment. God is creating a space in our hearts for Him, and may we never fill it with anything but Him. Along these lines, I wanted to make sure and let you know about a bonus episode that I released on Good Friday called Salvation and Sabbath, Part 1. If you missed that, I hope you'll still listen. It was dropped on Easter weekend, but its content is for this season. I really believe that God has been speaking out some spiritual themes during this time over the church during this global pause that I believe that we should not miss. I was telling my patrons of this podcast that the episode felt a little bit vulnerable to release, but I think the enemy wanted me to feel that vulnerability in releasing it because I can't think of two spiritual themes that the enemy would hate more than salvation and Sabbath. Salvation being what brings us into the abundant life that God offers and Sabbath being the very thing that sustains that life in us and also gives us the strength to impart this life that God offers to us to others. I just learned from one of my patrons that God used this very episode to stir and ready her heart in order to lead her six-year-old daughter to Jesus on Easter morning. That night after I recorded, as I told you, I was just feeling a little bit exposed and vulnerable about releasing the content for some reason. And I literally said out loud as I was cooking a dinner, Jesus, if that was just for one person to come to know you, then let it be. Well, I was so delighted to read actually just now that one of my patrons was able to listen and be impacted by it. And God had already been stirring and readying her heart to be able to talk to her daughter that morning about Jesus being our final perfect Passover lamb. And she was able to mother her daughter in a way that morning that led her straight to Jesus. My eyes were so full of tears as I could hardly type back to her my thanks and praise to Jesus that He answered my prayer, that even if it was just for one, let it be. And He did let it be. Welcome to the family of God, Miriam. Well, I'll tell you that that episode is especially beautiful because my husband, Nathan, is playing the piano intermittently all throughout it, and it just turned into this beautiful worship experience. And we'll do the same for part two called Sabbath, and I'll be sure to let you know when that is up and available. 
If you'd like to become a patron of this podcast, it's just $6 a month, and that gets you the podcast early each week, as well as extended content at the end of each episode where we just go a little bit deeper together as a community. You'll also be the first to know about everything including all the details about touring and connecting with us, as well as all the details on my upcoming book that will release this year. You're also going to get access to such a sweet little community that has become really quite precious to me over the years. I hope you'll consider joining us. You can find out all about it at patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. I got to spell it for you. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Christy Knuckles. Well, before we move on to our text this week, I would like to extend a very special invitation to you. I'm inviting you to learn how to play the piano along with me. I know that's very strange, and this will probably bring my mom to tears because she was a piano teacher for my entire life, and I cannot tell you how many times she sat me down and tried to spark my interest to learn how to play the piano. I did learn how to play, that is for sure, but I learned how to play by ear. In fact, my mom could tell you about a time that I sat down and basically tried to fool her that I could play a classical piano piece, and I did play it note for note, but at the end of it, she pointed out that I had just played it in a different key than it was written in. (laughs) Apparently, all those years of her teaching piano lessons after school every day ingrained those melodies in my head and I could play them by ear. But I've decided during this pandemic that it is time to stop procrastinating. So I'm inviting you to learn how to play the piano with me. Whether you've procrastinated like me, or maybe you have a child that you want to challenge in this time of school looking a little bit odd, I have the perfect solution. Learn to play the piano with me. In partnership with Rooted Music Coaching out of Atlanta, I'm inviting you and your family, actually, to take Worship Piano Beginner to Pro. First of all, a little bit of background on Rooted Music Coaching. This was started by our good friend Chris Brink, who actually used to be our bass player when we lived in Atlanta, and his precious wife, Anna, was our nanny, as well as our homeschool teacher in our house. She helped me several days a week in keeping the kids on track. Well, now she and Chris have three beautiful children of their own, and several years ago, they started a music school called Rooted Music Coaching, which is an actual brick-and-mortar school that offers music lessons of all kinds, and now they have expanded to offering online courses, and here's where we all come in. They are opening up a class just for us. In fact, we're going to create a hashtag. If you sign up for the course, I'll let you chime in on what you think the hashtag should be called, but it'll be a way that we can keep in touch with each other with our progress. In this course, we're going to learn in-depth foundational principles, such as learning to play music in seven different major keys so that we can play any song in any key at church or with our friends. That's a big deal. We'll learn how to read music, improve sight reading so that we can jump into anything, no matter how complex the music may be. We'll enhance our knowledge of music theory so that we can apply these fundamentals to whatever music setting we find ourselves in in the future. But the best part is that we get to learn at our own pace, on our own schedule, in a way that's convenient for our lives. We don't have to drive back and forth to lessons, even if we could do that. (laughs) We don't have to give up busy weeknights to sit with an instructor 
even if we could. Instead, we get to learn in the comfort of our own home. And we might as well right now, since home is kind of it. The cost of this course is $247, but let me tell you what all this gets you. It's a lot. First of all, this is a family plan, which I love. So this means that you'll get 52 individual lessons. So that's like a year-long course. But you get to keep the content forever, meaning that everyone in your family can use these lessons without having to buy additional licensing. That is a huge deal. It's a big value. This is an accelerated learning system, which I love and I'm excited about because we're going to be learning sheet music, but also, this is important, we'll be learning the Nashville number system. Nathan would tell you that this is valuable life stuff. In fact, Nathan is teaching Noah, our son, the Nashville number system right now because in order to play music in any sort of recording scenario here in town, you're going to hear music in the form of numbers, not letters. So at the end of this class, we should be able to understand what chord to play if someone looks at us and says, play the one here or play the four. We'll be able to follow along. In these 52 individual lessons, we'll have weekly homework, weekly sheet music, PDF flashcards, and even a progress chart. I feel like this is an infomercial. (laughs) And there's more! You'll also get a huge 26-song tutorial library in seven different keys with songs for every skill level. Plus, you'll get a personal coach available to you so that you can ask questions and even get immediate feedback on your playing 100% of the time. And as a very special gift for learning to play the piano with me, you're going to get to learn how to play the Heart and Hand Overture, which is the gorgeous piece of music that Nathan wrote as the score for our Lullaby album, as well as the song River of Grace, which is my favorite on the Lullaby album. So those are the two I chose as a special gift for you joining with me, how to learn how to play the piano. This class is going to open Wednesday, April 22nd at 7 a.m., and we'll be closing registration on Monday, May 11th. So you have up until then to get all signed up. You can make a one-time payment of $247, or you can pay $47 per month over a six-month period. And if money's tight right now, actually through PayPal, you can pay nothing for six months. So that's awesome. I'm scared. I have to tell you that. I'm going to be honest. I'm scared, but I think this is going to be fun. Let's do this together. It might be me and like your six-year-old daughter together in this, but let's do it. What I love about this course is that we will learn how to read music, but we're going to learn how to play actual songs that we love and sing at church. This was actually Chris's heart for this whole class, to be able to blend the traditional fundamentals of a piano with the hands-on practicality of learning how to play songs that we love and know. This could prepare you or your child or your husband to maybe even play piano in the church worship band someday. You never know. Or just to have the life skill of sitting down and playing songs that you know and love, and or even just being able to lead yourself in worship. Let's do this. Again, I'm scared to death, but let's do this. Here we go. If you'd like to sign up, all you need to do is head to rootedmusiconline.com slash Christy Knuckles. Rooted as in a tree is rooted in the ground. Rootedmusiconline.com slash Christy Knuckles. Again, it opens Wednesday, April 22nd at 7 a.m. And we'll be closing registration on May 11th. So you have up until then. Upon signing up, you'll get a welcome video from Chris himself, the owner of Rooted Music Coaching, and he'll give you a complete orientation of the class 
And you'll also get a welcome video from me, your classmate. So, like I said, I'll make sure we'll make a hashtag for our special class. We can all stay in touch with this and help each other in our progress. This should be fun. I'm scared. Anyway, let's move into our text today. We'll be in Psalm 119, verses 25 through 32. Our Hebrew letter that's associated with these verses in our beautiful acrostic is the letter Dalet. We talked a little bit about this letter on the last episode, actually, because our last letter, Gimel, is said to be having an interaction with our letter Dalet, according to Hebrew scholars. From the classical Hebrew script, which my daughter Ellie is painting our letters from, Dalet is constructed of two lines and a corner point or overhang called an ear. You might remember that we talked about that Dalet symbolizes a needy person who is bent over. And the interaction I spoke of is that Dalet is said to be listening for Gimel, which represents the Holy Spirit, our helper. So for Dalet, there's sort of a twofold meaning. We have the words poor and impoverished, sort of bent over. And according to John Parsons from HebrewForChristians.com, this letter Dalet symbolizes lowliness and the consciousness of possessing nothing. When I read this, I couldn't help but think of one of the top five favorite books of mine of all time that I've read multiple times called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. In fact, he has an entire chapter called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. If you've ever heard the song, Everything is Mine and You, that I wrote with my friend Ellie Holcomb, this book and this chapter in particular was what first started those stirrings in my heart. He bases this entire chapter on Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is probably the first time I understood what Jesus meant by poor in spirit. I'll read you a little bit from this chapter. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. Our Lord referred to this tyranny of things when He said to His disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. That's Matthew 16, 24 and 25. He goes on to say, The blessed ones who possess the kingdom are they who have repudiated every external thing and have rooted from their hearts all sense of possessing. These are the poor in spirit. They have reached an inward state, paralleling the outward circumstances of the common beggar in the streets of Jerusalem. That is what the word poor, as Christ used it, actually means. These blessed poor are no longer slaves to the tyranny of things. They have broken the yoke of the oppressor, and this they have done not by fighting, but by surrendering. And here's the really beautiful part. Though free from all sense of possessing, they yet possess all things. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I wrote an entire chapter in my book about how I've seen this come to life in my own life, how I've learned that everything is mine in Christ, even when my heart is breaking 
even when my hands are empty, even when the road is lonely. Tozer says again, to repudiate and to give up all for Christ's sake is to lose nothing at last, but to preserve everything unto life eternal. This isn't some sort of prosperity gospel that if you lose everything for Christ's sake, you suddenly have it all in terms of things, that is. I do believe biblically that God promised that our needs would be supplied if we seek first His kingdom. So we will be taken care of if we seek Him first. So to say, everything is mine in you, Jesus, we have to be able to define that word, everything, don't we? Everything equals the promises of God. Every promise of God is ours in you, Jesus. Promises that we can stand on even now in the midst of worry, fear, angst, and tension. We have His promises in front of us today within our reach, written in the form of a love letter that is His Word. A couple of other amazing discoveries around our letter Dalet today. Interestingly, the pictograph for Dalet looks something like a closed tent door. Remember that the pictograph would have been the language that God used to write with His very own finger, the Ten Commandments. So we have Dalet that looks like a door in pictograph. And reading further on HebrewForChristians.com, the word for religion in Hebrew consists of two letters, one of them being our letter, Dalet, and the other letter is to its left, it's the letter Tav. The letter Tav in pictograph is the symbol of a cross. So this word for religion here, which we all know is way more about relationship when it comes to God, is made up of these two letters. And in pictograph, literally, it means door of the cross. Dalet is the door, Tav is the cross. This is my own interpretation, meaning I'm not saying that this is the word of the Lord for us, but to experience true religion or relationship with God It seems we must be broken and poor in spirit, willing to lose our life and take up our cross and follow Jesus. The way to true life is the way of the cross. The door to true freedom is the door of the cross. Just a side note, you might remember on episode one how we learned that Jesus would have called himself the Aleph and the Tav. That letter Aleph in pictograph is the head of a sheep or bull. And Tav, in pictograph, as I said, is a cross, which, as you can imagine, points to Jesus, our sacrificial lamb on the cross, our way to real life. And speaking of real life, let's get into God's Word, this love letter, which is also our very bread this day. And even as I read this first line, it's going to remind you that there's a place for us to open up before God in honesty. I love how David paved the way for us, even in the Psalms, even in God's Word, to be able to have real and honest conversations before God, mixing worship and adoration with honesty and repentance. You're going to hear it all in this section today, and I hope right from the start it doesn't depress you, but encourage you that you're able to be real before the Lord today about where you are. This is the Word of the Lord. Psalm 119, 25-32. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. 
Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Being a follower of Christ isn't about having it all together, is it? In fact, truly following Jesus is actually all about acknowledging the fact every single day that we don't have it all together and that we desperately need Him. This is the power of the gospel, not that we figure everything out and learn to stand on our own two feet. The power of the gospel is that today, no matter our circumstances, we get to rest in Jesus. Like that powerful line in the song, Lord, I need you. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. The very first line of this section sort of says it all today, doesn't it? My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. So what we're hearing here is a part of the Genesis curse, actually. It's coming out of this singer's mouth because it's a part of his reality. Genesis 3.19 says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is a part of our reality too. If Christ tarries, we're all going to die. Our bodies will return to the dust. But what is just as much a part of our reality is that those who are in Christ Jesus, our soul, our spirit will not die, but will have everlasting life. Paul said this about our resurrection life in accordance with Christ's resurrection life in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We've talked about this before, that we have these two realities. We're living between what was and what is to come. I think the singer here is giving us permission to admit that we have a tendency to lean towards the worst case scenario versus the wide open spaces that God has given us in His covenant grace, the grace that continually points us to the life that is to come. There's the reality that as mere humans, we can quickly find ourselves clinging to the dust and in desperate need of remembering that we are a part of the resurrection of Christ when we believe on Him. Jesus knew this about us. He said in Matthew twenty two thirty two, Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Here in this psalm, we're gonna to continue to see this sharp contrast of our worry versus God's wisdom, our way versus His will, 
our weakness versus his resurrection life, our physical reality versus our spiritual reality. Again, thankfully, the psalmist is setting the tone that we're allowed to be honest about our death-clinging days as long as we are also crying out to God that He might show us again what is true of us in light of the fact that we're choosing to run in the way of the God of the living. The psalmist is teaching us the habit of crying out to this God of the living, our resurrection life, to bring us into the wide open spaces of freedom that He's called us to. Not only is this possible, it's what He intended for us life to the fullest, and Jesus. As we've studied these sections of this beautiful acrostic, we've continually seen that there's either a pattern or you're able to divide each section into more sections. And in this case, today, as I've been studying Bible Delight by the wonderful Christopher Ash, we see that verses 25 through 28 are bracketed with what we'll see as suffering, and verses 29 through 32 are bracketed with grace. As you look even deeper at the patterns found here, interestingly, you can also find that in the original Hebrew, the first section that's bracketed around suffering, verses 25 through 28, all end with the Hebrew letter kaf, whereas the next bracketed section around grace, verses 29 through 32, all end with the Hebrew word Yud or Yod. You might could look at this as art. You know, the songwriter here was simply trying to be creative, and that alone is beautiful. But because the Hebrew alphabet has been such a rich source of us seeing the mystery and mercy of God together, I'd love to look at these two letters here briefly. This first section, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. This is the section where each phrase ends with a Hebrew letter, kaf. According to the trusty Hebrew website I love, HebrewForChristians.com, the two letters that make up the word kaf are the initial letters of the two Hebrew words that mean potential and actual, suggesting that kaf enables the latent power of the spiritual or the potential to be made actual in the physical. So here again, we see sort of this battle of what truly is our reality. Because we're human, we have a tendency to get caught up in the actual or the physical, don't we? But because we're spirit beings, born of God, who is spirit, our true reality is that the potential or spiritual is even more our actual than we know. So the psalmist is setting the letter kaf at the very end of these phrases, almost like a period on every sentence. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. We see this period ending the sentence that says, God, let the spiritual be my actual today. Let's look at this next line. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. When I told of my ways, this is honesty before God, as in repentance. If you listen to part one of Salvation and Sabbath, we talked about the fact that repentance is daily. It wasn't a one-time thing that God has saved. Repentance is daily. It's us coming before the Lord to lay out everything. And knowing our tendency to cling to the dust, this is us going to war on sin every day. We are spirit beings, again, because God is spirit. And life in the spirit is a mindset on the things of the spirit. 
which brings us life and peace. A mindset on the flesh leads to death. But we've died to sin. We've been raised to new life in Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. That's Romans 6.11. Aren't you glad we can be honest before God about everything, to tell Him of our ways? We desperately want God to deliver us whenever we're going through trials and suffering. But I believe that in order for God to deliver us, we must continually deliver ourselves over to Him. I'm reminded of a blog post that I wrote around this very idea of delivering myself over to God that He might deliver me. I wrote, I picture myself literally standing before God and holding up my heart and soul to Him to say, here it is, have a good look, tell me what you see. I only care what you think. Yes, He delivers our souls, but what if the way in which He delivers us is that He's waiting on us to deliver over our soul to Him? When things get tough and scary, we have this tendency to shrink inward, don't we? Last night, I'll admit, I told Nathan, all I want to do right now is just eat ice cream and watch movies. That probably tells you about what kind of day I had. (laughs) Is it okay to do that sometimes? Yes. But regardless, it reveals our tendency to hide, to shrink inward, to escape even the wide open spaces that God has for us because they feel too mysterious and big. We maybe don't want to know the deeper spiritual themes God has in mind for us in this crazy, unprecedented season because we know it's going to stretch us. It's going to require more of us. It's already required that we give things up, a lot of things. But instead of running toward that wide open space that He offers us, we find ourselves, or at least I do, just wanting to sink in between my couch pillows into a world that I don't have to really navigate through or even try to control. I can just let it play out and entertain me as I numb out. We grasp for security and refuge in attempting to manage our fear, our disappointment, but eventually we'll find ourselves caged in, locked up, and clinging to the comfort of this world. In the end, we realize we're just clinging to the dust again. There's nothing to hope for. But it's in fully delivering our soul up to God every day in repentance. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is how He in turn delivers us. We play a crucial role in the equation of salvation and freedom, and it's surrender. So in light of us delivering ourselves over to God and our spiritual becoming our actual Let's hear these last two verses of this first section again. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. The period there again, God, let the spiritual be my actual today. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. God, let the spiritual somehow be my actual today. This whole second section, verses 29 through 32, again, It's bracketed by grace. And sort of the period at the end of each of these phrases is this letter Yod or Yud. The letter Yod symbolizes humility, even an arm or a hand reaching toward heaven. Humility is a posture of our heart towards God. So think of this heart posture as that period at the end of these phrases. Verse 29, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. 
I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. These are some pretty big phrases. And I'll admit when I used to read Psalm 119 before I really started studying it and learning to sing it, these were some of the phrases that would make me feel separated from this text a bit. I'd feel very unspiritual and unchristian when I'd read phrases like, I set your rules before me and I run in the way of your commandments. I read these and I'd feel like I was majorly missing something. God's law and His rules and His commandments weren't the first thing that I felt stirring in my heart when I'd wake up each morning. I had dreams and plans on my heart, and I felt guilty that those seemed to stir in my heart more than me wanting to run in the way of God's commandments. I felt this chasm between what I was reading and where I truly was. But then God's Spirit helped me to see that I can't separate His commandments from His covenant love or His statutes from a soul-stirring and saving Savior. I learned that His law, His rules, and His commandments are covenant, grace-filled words meant for someone like me and you. In fact, it's a song we can sing with our lives. It's a way we can walk in, and when we do walk in this way, we find ourselves surprisingly willing to surrender even our own dreams and plans because we begin to see that God has these dreams and plans for His covenant people that trump everything. This isn't to say that our own dreams and plans get trampled on. It's more that we become so deeply satisfied in our Savior, in His covenant love over us, that we start singing this song from a place of not only contentment, but absolute transformation. We don't have to wake up and try to muster up the strength to live the Christian life. That leads to exhaustion, and we know it. Instead, we get to sing this as we fall on Jesus today, as we live from His life, His power, His strength, even those dreams and plans that He set way deep in our hearts. He begins to reveal those again as we surrender and as we trust Him. The life God offers us today is gospel life, and the door to this life with Him is that door of the cross. Are we always going to wake up and feel compelled to run in the way of the Lord's commandments each morning? (laughs) Probably not. Not every morning. So this is the beauty of it, beloved, and us getting to wake up and be honest before God today to tell Him of our ways. Even though He already knows We get to deliver ourselves over to Him that He might deliver us, realizing our habit of clinging to the dust and sorrow, because yes, that is part of life. It is what some of us are sitting in right now, but we get to cry out to God that He might lead us each day, sometimes even minute by minute, in giving us life according to His Word, life according to His resurrection life. He is the God of the living. So imagine after each one of these scriptures, there's almost a Selah in your spirit, a quiet pause with your hand raised in humility, your heart postured before God. Verse 29, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Yeah, okay, we might have derailed and sunk into the couch cushions last night, but today is a new day. And with a hand lifted in humility, we get to say, God graciously teach me your law. Again, what is his law? It isn't two tablets of stone ready to crush us today if we don't stay in line. No, his law is the covenant love of God over us, 
providing us with instruction and direction and protection for each new day, literally down to the tiniest detail. We have this weird space in the upstairs portion of our house. We call it the craft room, sometimes the office, I don't know. Even though it's really just been a glorified closet for the last five years, we've not really known what to do with it. It doesn't even have a door on it. We had a little twin bed in there over the last few years, and occasionally one of my nieces will stay in there during a holiday if we get a crowded house. So because of this, we hung a curtain over the doorway to give it privacy. And crazy enough, we just had our home appraised because we refinanced, the rates dropped, and we thought that was a good idea. And the appraiser came in and he counted that room as a bedroom, which we hadn't counted it before as a bedroom. But because we had a curtain hanging over the door, he's like, yeah, that's a bedroom. So that was a major bonus that we didn't even see coming, but that's beside the point. This room has held stuff that I've hoarded for years. I don't know if I've told you this about myself, but I used to hoard things. I'm doing a lot better about this now, but there's something about crafty things, crafts. I struggle in getting rid of craft supplies. In fact, This is an even weirder fact about myself in regards to this room, but I've collected and kept things over the years because I promise, I wondered deep down if there'd ever be a time when we'd be bound to our homes and we'd need supplies in order to keep our minds and hearts hopeful and engaged. I'm laughing, but it's true. (laughs) So there's that. I'm weird. That's just one of the ways that I can look back and sense that I saw this whole thing coming in my spirit somehow. Anyway, moving on from my weirdness, I haven't wanted to spend money on this room because number one, this isn't really the time to be spending money. We don't necessarily have a tree out back that's growing money on it. And you know, it's just a craft room. I've got enough odds and ends. I can make something out of this space with what we have, but I was cleaning in there the other day and I could feel myself getting frustrated and agitated that I couldn't make it look exactly how I wanted it. And I finally just stopped and I just said out loud, Lord, what do you want this room to be? Like, what do you want this space to be? We happen to have this corner of our home that no one's currently living in. It has a curtain over it. But what do you want this room to be? And I just sat there and paused and just listened. And I felt like he just gave me a picture of me and my girls and how we would be able to use this space. And that might sound like a really weird illustration. And now that you know this about me, you're going to think I'm even weirder than you already do. But I think that God cares about every detail of our lives. I think He cares about putting some craft things in a drawer to keep our hearts hopeful in a time where we've had to stay in and shelter in place. I think He cares about those spaces and these weird things in our lives that we're not sure what to do with sometimes. My mom and dad, their prayer life challenges me all the time. They literally pray about everything. And what I've learned is that when you pray specifically, you see God specifically answer. And I love that. And I want to do that more in my life. Let's keep going here with this Selah pause of humility in our hearts. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. This isn't a haughty, prideful statement. This is a cry of our heart to a grace-extending God. Lord, set your rules before me today. But what are His rules? This isn't referring to His do's and His don'ts. His rules are His judgments. It's what He sees fit. 
It's the way He is running the world right now. So no matter what might be going on around us today, this is us saying, God, I choose to trust in the way that you are ruling the world. How can I practically do this? Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Picture your postured heart here. Even a hand may be raised in humility, like that letter Yod, the period at the end of the sentence here. I will cling to your testimonies. What are his testimonies? According to Bible Delight, Christopher Ash, he reminds us God's testimonies are a word that bears witness to his faithfulness. On Saturday before Easter, we gathered in a friend's yard on a quilt as her chickens clucked and pecked the ground around us. And don't worry, our quilts were even actually more than six feet apart, and we didn't even go into their house to use the restroom. We followed all the social distancing rules to a T. But as we sat on our quilts, We each shared a testimony of God's faithfulness in the past so that we could cling to His faithfulness in the here and now. Clinging to God's testimony is clinging to His faithfulness. And this is going to be crucial in our ability not only to endure, but it's a massive part of our victory as the church. In the end, Revelation 12, 10 through 11 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers, that's Satan, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Remember, if you listen to that salvation podcast, we apply the blood to our lives. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. I love the idea of training our hearts to cling to God's faithfulness, that our testimony will be ready on our tongues in these days and in the days to come, that God has been faithful and he will be faithful again. And the last verse, verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. As I said before, when I used to read this, it fell into the category of it sounding a little bit arrogant. I will run in the way of your commandments. But when I read it with a hand reached towards the heavens in desperation, with a heart postured in humility, knowing the reality is is that I'm going to wake up in these days clinging to the dust, my soul melting away with sorrow, that's the physical. But when I run in the way of God's commandments— This is me running towards my spiritual, my potential, which is really my actual. And beloved, where does God's covenant loving and protecting commandments lead us? To a wide open space where He enlarges our heart. So when we run in the way of God's commandments, not only are we running in the way of God's protection, as in we're running for cover, I also see here that we're running with freedom away from this world and all its possessions, free from the tyranny of things. Our stride is strong because not only are we set free from the things of this world, we run from the strength of our Savior in Christ Jesus. Just to get real with you, this morning in my journal, I admitted to God that I was afraid about the future, about our little small business, about the sickening amount of money that we're getting ready to have to spend on our busted up gutters on our house because the water isn't flowing right and it rotted a huge hole in our deck and in the foundation of our deck. And there's no telling how much that's going to cost to fix. But I said to God, you know what we need, God. You've always provided. You said you'd keep providing. So what do I ask for today? If I'm truly set free from worrying about those things, 
what am I free to ask for? As I sat there, I just said, God, I ask you for wisdom. Like Solomon in 1 Kings 4, give me breadth of understanding in these days. If you're going to provide, if you're going to take care of our needs, if you're going to feed us and clothe us, God, then give me breadth of understanding. Give me discernment. Jesus warned His disciples so many times in the gospel. He said, let no man deceive you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be deceived in these days to run in any other direction than in the way of God's commandments. Beloved, if you're free from worry today, from the things of this world, what are you free to ask for? The message version of Psalm 119, 29 through 30 says, God barricade the road that goes nowhere. Grace me with your clear revelation. I choose the true road to somewhere. That's a capital S somewhere. And I post your road signs at every curve and corner. Even as we're being pressed on every side, may it press us to run in freedom in the way of the Lord. Christopher Ashe writes as we close, It is one of the paradoxes of this world that sin promises freedom but enslaves. And the law of God seems to promise constraint, but opens the heart to a free, wild, joyful run. I know that life might not look like that free, wild, joyful run right now, but hopefully today we've learned a little bit more about how to wake up and posture our hearts in these days with our hands and hearts extended in repentance and humility and openness before God, possessing nothing but everything all at the same time. May we ask God to let our potential our spiritual, our life that is to come, be our actual today. It is our actual, but let us stand on that promise. Even when our heart is breaking, even when our hands are empty, even when the road is lonely, everything is ours in you, Jesus. I'll talk to you soon.